Hey, welcome back to the pod. I am here to educate and entertain, and so is Rahul Iyer. We've got a lot of topics up for today. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about the Costner case settled, by the way. Shocker. No, not shocked. We're not shocked because we know better. Um, and we told you so. Um, uh, talk about his child support wins, which we haven't had a chance to mention. And uh, dating apps policing themselves and getting people getting in trouble for ghosting. Uh, we've got also Rahul talking about the Joe Jonas-Sophie Turner divorce. And we're going to talk about the child custody international implications of the fact that their children are dual citizens and there's a whole circus going on related to that. We are going to talk about um, Tinder going bougie. <laughs> there's a new very expensive monthly subscription available for Tinder that's going to be interesting. And if we still have time, we'll be talking about Danny Masterson now getting divorced. The, the divorce is breaking loose in Hollywood. It's totally off the chain this summer, now into the fall. We thought it was, uh, it started with Costner or maybe somebody else, Sofia Vergara, Ariana Grande. It's like wall-to-wall -wall divorces in uh, Hollywood. And so we're going to be talking about those things, but how they're relevant to you in today's show. All right. So let's start with the first topic, Kevin Costner case settled. Big doings. Uh, talking from TMZ, one of our favorite sources of celebrity info, this story came out and they said the case settled. Uh, there were signs that it might happen. We're not surprised because cases settle like this, um, that there's initial skirmishing and battling going on, but there's a prenup and the price for Christine Baumgartner losing on that prenup challenge was very high. She would forfeit the 1.4 million that Costner was supposed to give her in the prenup and have to pay his attorney's fees if she lost. And I guarantee the fees would not be cheap. Uh, he hired Laura Wasser, very well-regarded California divorce attorney, sort of a celeb divorce lawyer to the stars. Maybe someday we'll be lucky enough to interview her for the pod. Um, pretty awesome. They, they call her the Disso Queen. I, that's got to be a British term. But anyway, uh, they, they said they won a series of legal skirmishes, particularly in the child support department. And we will talk uh, in a minute about the temporary child support battle that was had and which we alluded to and actually commented on in previous shows. And we'll talk about the end game with that because I think it was significant in kind of getting this thing wrapped up because it really was the one big question mark was what was the court going to do with respect to child support? So we'll talk about that. And then uh, what they said, there was an evidentiary hearing about um, the support number and that really resulted in a win for Costner's team. Really not a shocker there. It was still a big number by anybody's standards. And uh, the court apparently made it clear, and we haven't seen these documents. This is again from TMZ. The court made it clear to the parties that the prenup would be enforced. So once a lawyer gets that message, you run back to your client and say, you better sell because if you try to prove this thing is uh, no good and we lose, you're gonna give up your 1.4 million bucks and pay his fees. So the writing was on the wall. The lawyers for Baumgartner did the right thing. They pushed this thing as far as they logically could without getting Christine into trouble. They got her probably the best child support deal they could. And apparently uh, Costner came up with some additional cash to get it done, which is right in my wheelhouse, baby. That's what I talk about in my book. I just want this done. How smart, successful people get divorced without losing their kids' money and minds. That's where the title of this show comes from. Well, guess what? Kevin wanted it done and he got it done. So good on Laura Wasser. I'm sure she talked to him and said, look, you want this done? Cough up some extra bucks and let's get it over with. Make it a nice round one and a half million or whatever it is. We don't know what it is. The terms are probably going to be confidential, but the word is from the TMZ article, Costner came up with some additional money to make it go away. Smart move. Put this behind you. Go on to making one and a half million per episode of Yellowstone or whatever you're doing. Uh, good on you. And good for the kids, good for everybody to get it done. Um, married 18 years, three kids. Uh, yeah. So they said the last line is, our sources say Christine got more than was prescribed in the document for the sake of settlement. In the article, they say, did not see this one coming. Any divorce lawyer worth their salt would say, we saw it coming. 95% of divorce cases settle, and it's not unusual to see a battle for posturing positioning both to try to see if they could score high for a child support number 
Because remember, folks, you can't set child support in a prenup and you can't set custody in a prenup. So you're, that's the one thing they're battling over. It wasn't custody. They got that resolved, but they were debating over child support. And to address that issue now, I've got, we've got articles in the, by the way, in the show notes, we'll have the links for these in the notes. Uh, the article about child support was in Fox News. Um, there was a initially a temporary child support battle fought and Christine Baumgartner wanted like a quarter million dollars a month and everybody's having a heart attack over <laughs> that number. Understandably, remember they lived an extremely lavish lifestyle and these children were accustomed to an unbelievable lifestyle that few of us could ever imagine. Costner's uh, estate in California, I think if you might remember Rahul, worth like 150 million bucks or something, something unbelievable like that. That's just one of his homes, okay? And Baumgartner's point and her attorneys, the team point was she wanted to live fairly close to Kevin Costner. They needed to live in a neighborhood that's going to be expensive by nature to not be too far away. She didn't want a situation where the kids are living like in a relatively less nice situation when they're with mom and then they're in this lavish place with dad. And you'll see that courts understand that to some extent. She wasn't getting the 250000 that she wanted. Um, and, and just so you get, we get you to the end game quickly, Kevin was arguing for about 50000 a month and temporary child support was set at about 126000 a month. This is in the early on in the case. And later there was a, fine, a hearing where there was more evidence admitted. That's the two-day hearing you hear, see here. And at the conclusion of the hearing, the judge ordered uh, about 60-some thousand in temporary support. So that ended up being the, basically the final number, and they ended up agreeing to let that number ride and not continue to fight that, which ended up being, I think, pretty good for Kevin's side of the ledger, much closer to his number than the number that uh, certainly Christine was arguing for. So good result for Kevin. Honestly, good result for Christine Baumgartner, let's be honest. And uh, everybody walks away doing well without a giant bruising court battle. And it's better to be put this behind them and keep on moving. So that's the story on that one. Uh, what I think that's, yeah. What do you I, think about um, that, Rahul? You got any comments? Yeah, I uh, I think, like, like you said, I mean, as, as divorce lawyers, we we see these kind of things play out daily. I mean, maybe not of people of, of uh, Kevin Costner's stature, but definitely very, very uh, significant people in their own right, just not probably in the public eye. So we deal with these kind of issues all the time. And, and so we sort of, like you said, thought that this is how it's going to play out. And, you know, in this evidentiary hearing, you know, looking at a little inside baseball, I'm sure they had conversations where they weighed the evidence and all the evidence that Christine's side could come up with. And they realized, you know what, this is not probably going to end well if we keep continuing to push on this. The judge will give them that what we call the poison pill for challenging the right. prenup, attorney's fees, all kinds of things. And so let's just go with everything here. We'll see if they'll give us a little bit more money just to walk away so Kevin doesn't have to pay additional funds for his right. lawyer. And everybody sort of, I guess, wins. And they're just done out of court. They don't have TMZ following them around every day now and, right. and so on and so forth. So I think, I think that makes sense. Yeah, and this, you know, this is what we, we talk about here is the cost-benefit analysis. We always talk about cost-benefit. And that is, what was Christine going to gain by pushing this further? Her potential, you know, her potential win was maybe pushing the total number up that she could get. And in this case, she did get some additional cash, pushing that child support number up as high as she could, which is understandable. But her downside was losing all the marbles except for child support and paying his attorney's fees. So that was, those are the brackets. The win is maybe you can bump up the fixed amount that's supposed to be in the prenup by basically, you know, X dollars creating enough risk reward concern in that mind of Kevin Costner. And he's also figuring he's weighing all the costs of divorce. And we talk about how there are multiple costs of divorce folks. It's not just attorney's fees, fees, your aggravation and your emotional damage, the emotional impact on your kids and your family, the impact it has in your career and your life, the opportunity cost of things you could be doing otherwise rather than being mired in a divorce. So, 
you know, Costner's weighing all those costs and his lawyers wisely talking to him about those things. It's not just the fees. It's the drag on your entire life. And moving on has its own value. So he's weighing that stuff. Christine Baumgartner's weighing that stuff with her team and they're making a decision. Find out where in that Venn diagram they can get the thing to overlap. You know, that's his best case, her best case. Find out the middle and get it done. And they did it. So a couple major concepts here that are important. One is that cost benefit, thinking about the high, low, and most likely case for the results in your case, and weighing all those costs so you come up with a rational decision about whether to settle or push it further. So yeah, uh, reasonable result. Also to uh, the prenup non-believers out there, here's another one that works. And if you think they don't work, put a case name in the comments. Give me a case name and a case number in the comments. There, I get a lot of folks on, on my TikTok telling me, a lot of guys mostly, say prenups don't work. And the people where they do work, it's kind of like the silent majority. Where they do work, you don't hear about that because it isn't newsworthy. <laughs> That's what, it's like when seatbelts, when airbags and seatbelts work, you don't hear about it. You hear about it when the airbag like hurts somebody. That's news. The, the nine that fail a year is news. The fact that 10,000 of them work is not news. It's the same thing with prenups, okay? Most of them work and they drive people to get cases settled more efficiently, which is why we recommend them. So, Right. And it's, and it's, easier, it's easy to say mm-hmm. it doesn't work. But what does that even mean, right? What does it mean when you say it doesn't work? Like, is it completely invalidated? Are you going to slightly deviate perhaps like Kevin Costner did to get it done? I mean, it still works, which is why he had that leverage and he had that overarching sort of control over the case. Uh, And he, I mean, they both signed the prenup. So it's like a joint venture essentially in that sense. But just because you deviate slightly from a prenup in order to get something done, or you give a little bit more, or you take a little bit less, that doesn't mean it doesn't work. It just means that you sort of, did what exactly you described, the cost-benefit analysis, and you got it done. Yeah, he, but he, suggesting it doesn't work is, is a mismatch. Yeah, and, I mean, he mitigated tremendous potential downside. I mean, tens of millions, hundred, you know, untold millions of dollars by having this prenup in place. So, yeah, so it's, and no surprise, this is his second marriage. He was already successful when he got married to this, uh, to Christine Baumgartner. So there's no surprise here whatsoever. You know, this is a, uh, understandable result and and good for them getting it done. So, all right. So the next uh, thing I wanted to talk about was dating apps policing themselves. Bumble bans ghosting. Stood up singles urged to report offenders for abusive behaviors. So this is this is pretty funny. Right, kind of interesting because, you know, people always complain about ghosting. So uh, they, they said in this article, which will be in the notes, but this is in the New York Post. Uh, shout out to nypost.com. Non-show, no shows on dates without explanation before or after could get Bumble users banned under the app's updated guidelines. Bumble's creating a buzz by cracking down on rude behavior. The trendy dating platform will now allow its millions of users to report each other for ghosting on an in-person date. The app claims to be the first to take a clear stance on the matter. Now, we don't know. We're getting this from the report. But um, the guidelines are intended to inc- discourage no-shows. And uh, if you're stood up, you're able to use the in-app reporting feature to uh, report people who ghost you. Then I guess they'll have some moderators check the claims before taking action. It's now in their bullying and abusive conduct terms of service. So they're they're concerned about creating um, valid connections. And they, of course, they want their users to be happy about the app. So now remember, uh, I think Rahul, you talked about Bumble before. We've, we talked about, we love talking about dating apps. We're both kind of fascinated by this stuff and, and it's sort of effect on people. Bumble is the one where women have to choose the men, right? Like guys kind of apply and they can't just bombard somebody with the DMs or whatever, right? So once you match, what happens is the woman has to make the first move. So I can't, or someone can't say, how are you? Or, I mean, it's probably the lamest line of all time, but uh, whatever they say to engage or begin the conversation, that has to come from the, the women's side, you know, to sort of, and I don't mean to be gendered by any means, but that's just sort of, I'm yeah. just using that as an example here. So, um, but that's, that's, so they have to initiate the conversation. Right. So uh, unlike 
some of the other apps where I think either party can engage. So there's some interesting tidbits in this because it, there's more, they changed their terms of service more than just this ghosting thing. And um, their CEO said they're trying to create, you know, make sure they're creating and nurturing authentic connections and they're trying to create a safe experience. And so this is really interesting. Um, you can be reported for no showing and then ghosting, but they say that, that the app will only take action if the person doesn't show up on agreed upon dates. So if you just shut down communication before it, you have to have a date agreed upon and then blow somebody off. It's not, if you just drop off and stop texting, that's not actionable, which makes sense because you want to let people, they don't want to talk anymore. That shouldn't be something that gets them kicked off the app, even though maybe it's rude. They should say, you know, Hey, I don't, I'm not interested anymore. But if they, if they just drop off the chat, that's not a problem. But if they blew you off for a date, that's a violation of their terms of service. And it's interesting because Bumble um, originally shrugged, said they like ignored ghosting and they kind of called it the imperfect nature of dating. And they kind of said, well, you know what happens? And that was something I think they didn't think they could do anything about it. And they let the users just deal with it. And um, they're trying to discourage no-show behavior, which I mean, that makes sense because that's if people are going through all the effort of talking to somebody and then someone sets up a date and they're getting blown off. That's not good for their users. People aren't having a good experience on the app and they're not going to want to pay for their membership. So it makes sense. Now, the interesting thing is there's more to it. The new rules also say doxing and victim blaming are considered bullying and abusive conduct. And this is really, so that's interesting. So doxing, just to explain briefly, is revealing somebody's address or personal identity information on the app, you know, broadcasting that information or uh, blaming the victim if something bad happened and then you're bad-mouthing that person, uh, uh, you know, online, then that's also considered abusive conduct by the app, which is good. So bravo to uh, Bumble for adding that to their terms of service. That's good. Here is the really interesting one. The app now prohibits the use of AI to match with users or talk with matches. Since the ChatGPT boom last year, the tool has been pressed into the role of, of talking, using to text with people on the app. Um, there's, so there's an AI matchmaking crackdown, and they're also against uh, use of platform to promote content like OnlyFans content, uh, X-rated or adult content. So apparently people were leveraging Bumble profiles to promote OnlyFans content, and they're cracking down on that too. So it's funny because they're they're dealing with, you know, evolution in technology, the dating app itself was an evolution or revolutionary technology. And now changes in tech are causing the dating app to adapt to trends. So kind of interesting. I'm not sure how they're going to detect the use of AI if somebody's consulting with ChatGPT uh, on, on the GPT app on their phone and then toggling over to Bumble and pasting stuff in. I mean, maybe they've got an algorithm to help them check it out, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be harder than ever to know if you're talking to an AI or not these days. I think that's very interesting because uh, the two points, I think, uh, firstly, it's, it's, it's smart of Bumble to put this under the sort of anti-bullying kind of um, terms of service uh, because they can show that, look, we're doing all this to combat bullying and we want you guys to have a great time. But I think ultimately they realize, like you said, it's just the user experience, right? They want to make sure that people aren't frustrated by saying, oh, I got ghosted again. So Bumble's where you go to get ghosted, I guess. Or right. I'm just talking to a bunch of robots on, on Bumble. I think it's a real person, but it's just, you know, uh, a Terminator, you know, chat, chat GPT. So, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's self-serving insofar as they'll continue to maintain the user base, but they can also seem very very charitable and generous and sort of forward looking by saying, we're going to combat all this bullying. Right. We don't want you to be stood up and stuff. So I also, you know, so the second point of that is I think, how do you realize if someone was stood up and how would you, how would you moderate that? I guess is my question because I go, I go meet somebody and then they say, you know, uh, you know, I, I didn't have a great time, you know, well, you know, have a nice life. So, I'm like, oh, did not show up, you're banned, <laughs> you know, right? I mean, right. 
how would you prevent something like that? Do I have to take a picture with them now to show that I was there? Or I don't know. It's interesting. That's 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 definitely because I don't, I don't think you make the plans on the app. Or if you did, I mean, there's right. some way to type tie the real world into it. I want. I don't know. I'm guessing that's why they realized they need to have a human moderator involved. I'm guessing they'll check with the other person and ask them for the story. But um, at least they're making an effort. But yeah, I don't know how you enforce it. First, you know, re, you know, as a practical, as a practical matter, it's just kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. And we're not sponsored by Bumble, no. so but if you guys want to sponsor us, we're uh, we're we'll, we'll be oh, happy. All ears. Yeah, give us a, give us a shout. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah, brayfitstglaw.com. Just shoot me a an email or put a comment in there. So, um, also, if you've had an experience with dating apps and and you've dealt with any of these rules drop a comment in like in YouTube, if you're watching on video or send us a message if you can, because we'd be interested in hearing about your experience. If you have dealt with this ghosting thing, how does it actually work in practice? If you have seen that, let us know. We'd be, we'd like to see that and have a follow-up conversation. So uh, next you were going to talk about Joe Jonas and Sophie Turner, yet another brick in the divorce wall for (laughs) Hollywood. Apparently it's rough out there, ladies and gentlemen. Jeez, we thought it was rough a couple episodes ago. (laughs) It's getting rougher. Yeah. And I was going to say the summer of divorce continues, but now the fall of divorce continues, I guess. It's uh, so, of course, uh, I think it's been some of the most trending of news recently is that Joe Jonas of the famed Jonas Brothers is uh, reportedly divorcing Sophie Turner, who in her own, you know, in her own highlight is the uh, lead or one of the leads of Game of Thrones, most notably. And so huge, huge news in, in Hollywood sort of shook uh, the foundation a little bit, especially because unlike Kevin Costner, where, you know, we tie him tie to him because we spoke about him earlier today. They, they fought about money and then they, but they got the kids out of it here. It seems to be about the children. Yeah. And so that seems to be very, very interesting. And also the posturing that we see people doing, which we see, you know, in our day-to-day practices. So the same thing we deal with in our client, with our clientele is the same thing that people in Hollywood also sometimes seem to be doing. So Rahul, can, as a brief time, what, what, are ahead, the, what are the ages of the kids? And like, can you give a little background on the marriage? I don't know, like how long they've been married and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I believe they have two children, two or three children. I have to double check. I know Willa is a three-year-old and a they have a second child, also a daughter, but nobody knows their name. They just know her initial as D. First child is Willa, July 14 months old. Right. Second child born two years later. Yeah, these are little kids. Very, very little kids. They are both dual citizens because uh, I should mention Joe Jonas, of course, is American and Sophie Turner is British. So yeah. they're dual citizens, both born in California, I believe, or somewhere in the United States. And the two of them are not very old either. He's 34, she's 27, right. and they've been married four years. So very short marriage. And so September 5th of this year, just uh, earlier this year, Joe Jonas files for divorce from Sophie Turner. And there's uh, a drama started right then because there's a question of, well, how did Sophie find out? Her camp says, well, she found out through the media. He didn't tell her, but really he denies. Uh, and then on September 6th, the following day, they release joint statements about their divorce on social media where they say, after four wonderful years of marriage, we have mutually decided to amicably end our marriage. You know, sounds good, sort of. Uh, uh, saying, towing the party line there. Yeah. Uh, there's many speculate. Uh, there's there are many speculative narratives as to why, but truly, this is a united decision, and we sincerely hope that everyone can respect our wishes for privacy for us and our children. Which we that's very nice. That's great. We like that when people do those nice yes. joint statements and they're not mm-hmm. saying nasty stuff in the media. And it doesn't look like there's a lot. Um, of gossip out there which means they're keeping their mouth shut they're keeping their mouth shut for the most part but then uh, uh, there's a slight little tweak because i think it sounds like joe jonas may have aggravated things just a little bit at least from what we see so the following day september 6th 
he goes to he returns to stage but was not wearing his wedding ring because again they're on a on a concert series right now so they have concerts almost every night or every couple of nights so in different is he, states i'm sorry is he back with the jonas brothers on tour yes so he, he famously like broke up with them in like the i don't know 2016 right mm-hmm. okay something around there yes let's just say it's not a band i normally follow no offense jonas brothers i'm sure you're awesome but uh i'm, I'm a gen xer not my vibe <laughs> also maybe is it a boy band is it okay can we say that <laughs> I think it's a boy band. Yeah, I think, I think it's a all right. Band. We can say that. I don't have a problem. <laughs> Love my in, my NSYNC. You know, my new kids on the block for you. Shout out Backstreet Boys. Backstreet Boys. Thank you. Yeah, down with that. But uh, I, I think you're in love with the music. People stick with the music that they listen to when they were like in high school and college or so. I think, and I, I think you get sort of stuck on that stuff. <laughs> I do listen to newer <laughs> stuff. But it's because of things I hear from my my stepdaughter's play or my son's. Otherwise, I'm kind of hopelessly stuck in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Yeah, you're exactly. You're from the uh, Def Lep and Kiss generation. And yeah, and later on to like through the through the on. you might say the death of rock and roll in the early, in around 2000 through the oh sure the grunge yep. era. Although rock and roll <laughs> rock and roll never dies. Never dies. Yeah, but I do like like we were just saying right. Even this day, we were just talking about this before the show started. Rock and roll all night and part of every day, right? <laughs> That's so. right. <laughs> rock and roll never dies. Exactly. Now, I, I like rap. I like hip-hop and stuff. It just depends. And some pop music. But, um, yeah. So, uh, by the way. So then. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, no. So then what happens is, they, I guess it sounds like, and here's where it gets a little murky. Sounds like the parties had agreed to keep the children out of the limelight completely, meaning you don't see them in public, you don't know their names, nothing. Then it sounds like maybe Joe took them on stage or maybe he was caught photographed walking them around and giving an interview with them, released their likeness or their images and also names. And so that was a big no-no from her side. Also, he felt like he was getting backlash in the media because he showed up without his wedding ring on the following day. Uh, in that concert. So he then, there was some news article that he or his, his not him, but I guess his camp may have released that basically said the reason he filed for divorce was because he heard Sophie Turner saying something on a ring camera that was outside his house. So then when anytime someone typed in ring, they'd find that article as opposed to the wedding ring article. Oh, wow. So those kind of games started getting played. Wow. And all this is in, you know, is in a span of a few days, a week or two weeks. And so it was, uh, it was definitely interesting times. And then he says at a concert in Dodger Stadium, he said, hey, unless you hear it from me, don't believe it, essentially. So don't believe what the media says. Yeah. And interesting note for the folks out there who may not know, these stars have obviously a lot of money is riding on their personal reputations. Huge money. And the companies that hire them or work with them, like his tour, the tour promotion firm, I don't know who it is, but their management firm and uh, record label, whatever, all these folks have tons of vested interest in this guy. And you can bet your bottom dollar, they get one of the best PR agencies they can to manage a crisis like this. And that's what you're talking about. They go in and they engineer the keywords that that story did not go out by accident about the ring camera, like you said. I mean, that was probably done by a, a top-notch PR agency, and you'll never hear their name. They'll never talk about who their clients are, and that's that's by design. And they go out and they engineer stuff like that to patch up these issues because part of this brand of this band and Joe Jonas personally is a squeaky clean image, and they... <laughs> They can't afford to have him look like a, a bad dude. So, um, and we're certainly not here disparaging him at all. We're just talking about what's in press reports. And that's really interesting. So, by the way, the ring was off after the divorce was filed? Yes. So, okay, well, what's the big... Again, we think it's not a big deal. We see it every day, but maybe for him, and you, like you said, his crystal clean image, maybe that was something that was of consideration. Again, like you said, we're not 
generating any no. of this. This is all sort of things we hear, yeah. allegations, and so we're not confirming any of these things to be accurate no, or inaccurate. No, we're reading these press sort of, reports, but it yes, you're tossed around. So yeah, it's it's really interesting because this divorce ri- raises a bunch of issues, right? Right. And so last thing about this, uh, well, not last, but most recent thing, time-wise, the latest, uh, uh, saga, latest episode of this saga is, is that Sophie Turner now, who is, again, of British origin and or lives in the UK, filed a uh, what we call a Hague Convention lawsuit, essentially, to request return of the children to, to the UK. Crux of it being... She's saying, kids reside in the UK. Joe Jonas is not letting me take the kids back. And so I want the court to order that the kids shall be returned. And this happened because she alleges the two of them had agreed that the kids would travel back with her. And he said, I will not give you their passports. And so she goes and files this motion in, I think, the Southern District of New York, or this case, I should say. Uh, requesting that the children be returned to what they claim to be their rightful domicile in the United Kingdom. So this is like, there's a bunch, there's a couple issues sort of wrapped in together with this that we, you and I wanted to talk about for the people watching and listening. Um, This deals with, first of all, the international custody issue here, which is, uh, we'll talk about the Hague Convention is, we're also going to talk about the UCCJEA. There's some, some heavy-duty custody stuff here, folks. Excuse me, that you rarely, as lawyers in the Chicago, in the Chicagoland area, you don't, we're actually seeing these cases more frequently than we once did due to the nature of our, our changing world. And we'll talk about that demographic stuff that's affecting that. When I was younger doing this in my 30s and whatever, you never heard about a Hague case, extremely rare. Uh, you, you certainly very rarely had these interstate custody cases. They were just not common. But there's really been a tremendous increase in interstate jurisdiction cases with child custody issues. And that's what we're going to get into is the international child custody battle and interstate between two states. So... There are a couple of things. First, we'll we'll define the terms, and we're going to make this as interesting as we can because we don't want to bury you in boring stuff. We no boring lawyer podcast is our motto. So I'm going to give you the thirty six thousand foot thing because it's interesting. It'll help you understand what's going on in the Jonas case. And so the Hague Convention H A G U E was a treaty signed by a number of countries that allowed for a way to resolve uh, child custody issues between countries. Because what happens is sometimes a kid would be like taken from the U.S. to England or France or anywhere in the world. And the parent was trying to steal them basically out of the country and go to their maybe their home country, maybe not their home country, just somewhere else and keep the children there in the hopes that the other parent would not get to see them again or to, to defeat their visitation, defeat their custody rights. And an angle was grab the passports, get the kids on the plane and bundle them off to wherever. Who wins the race? What's that? Whoever just wins the race, right? Yeah, whoever beats them to the punch. And this was both done, has been done, interstate. So people try to run to another state for potentially favorable treatment or hoping that they'll be able to go home to their parents, the kids, one set of grandparents, and stay there maybe in the event of a divorce. Or they try to go to another country to gain advantage too. And so this was seen as a problem by a number of countries and they got together and signed a treaty and worked out a procedure by which different nations could work together to create a facility for these issues to be resolved. And the Hague Convention provides for that. And it basically creates a way for, in the United States, you have to go to, you go to federal court and you seek relief through the federal court and the U.S. State Department communicates with the foreign department, the similar parallel on the other end, the State Department of the other country, basically, to communicate and then get that information to a court in that country to then try to adjudicate the issue. To And there's rules in there about how old the children have to be to qualify for the Hague Convention. I believe it's 15 and under. I may be wrong. 
um, and, and parameters like time, like how late, how long can you wait? It's like kind of like a statute of limitations and how old can the children be, et cetera. So there's a number of parameters in there and I won't bore you with the details, but the long and short of it is it's a facility or a way for people in another country to communicate with the U.S. And deal, it, it can go the other way too. People can run to the United States with a child if they're a U.S. citizen and try to keep them here. And then the parent in the other country can file a Hague Convention case in their country and they communicate here with our court and they go back and forth to try to resolve the custody issue. And the child might be ordered to be returned to the other country. Maybe there's visitation worked out between, you know, internationally. But that's what a Hague Convention case is. And uh, we'll, to, I want to differentiate that from the UCCJEA, Uniform Child Custody Jurisdiction and Enforcement Act. It's a lot. Um, that's what the UCCJEA is. It's been adopted I'm, maybe by all 50 states. Uh, last time I looked, it was 49 or all 50 states. It's a uniform set of laws that's been adopted by the, uh, all the states in the country, and it deals with child custody jurisdiction between states. And it talks about the rules. So what they, it defines what's the home state for a child. So the basic thing is, the classic scenario is, a either a divorce case starts and one person grabs the kids and runs to another state and tries to keep them in the other state, or they run to the other state anticipating a divorce and they either file one there against the spouse or they just sit there and wait. And then the other spouse is forced to file. And then there's a battle between, well, what state is going to decide the divorce case, number one, and where do the kids live? So um, the tricky, there are a, number, a couple of key things to know about the UCCJEA. And I want to make this interesting and short, and it ties into this Hague Convention issue. So for Jonas's, the trick with them is they've moved all over the place with these kids. And the kids were, where were they born, Rahul? And they were both born in California. California. Okay. They're dual citizens, you said. Um, mom is a British citizen, and I don't know if she's a U.S. citizen, but dad is obviously a U.S. citizen. The children are dual citizens, um, so it's legal for them to be in any either country. But let's just talk about UCCJEA first. The basic thing is that the children's home state is where they were in the six months preceding a filing, uh, basically a divorce case filing. Let's just call it divorce or paternity case filing. So it's once you've been in a state for six months and assuming no custody orders exist, then that is your home state. So theoretically, you could get away with running out of the children. Let's say the children lived in Illinois for 10 years. If dad took the kids to Indiana and stayed there for a day more than six months and there's no case filed, Indiana becomes the home state for those kids. So we warn people about that all the time when we get a call and they say, well, my wife took the kids to California. That's where her parents live. We always say, how long ago was it? Because mm -hmm. we get worried that if it's a day over six months, the dad's in big trouble because he's going to have to fight a custody case in California. And the thing is, the divorce case might be properly filed in either state for reasons we won't bore you about, but the custody case will win out. And wherever the custody case is going to be handled, that's the rest of the divorce gets basically dragged to that judge. And I've handled those cases before between two states where, in fact, one was California and Illinois, where we ended up getting a case moved to California, you know, rightly so based on the facts. But those children actually lived a long time in California, had moved to Illinois for a period of time and back to California. But um you get into these nuanced cases where kids move around a lot and the debate becomes what is the home state, right? So, yes. And I think just to add to that, yeah. um, it's not always a bad thing necessarily if mom or dad moves to a different state right. uh, with the kids because every state has slightly different laws related to parenting time. One big uh, aspect is 
let's say mother moved to a different state and father lived in the home previously home state. The new state that mom went to might be more if is more favorable towards dads than the old state. Dad might say, you know what, let's get let's get divorced there. So you can acquiesce uh, to that as well if, if you think it's more favorable. But again, like you said, it's very important to talk to an attorney or multiple attorneys in different jurisdictions to gauge what would be in your best interest yeah. as far as your rights and obligations. Yeah. And we're not judging people for wanting to relocate. People typically have very good reasons for moving. They say, well, the, the classic reason is one parent's family is in this other state and they want to be by their support system. They're figuring they're going to be a single parent and they want to be with their support system. But of course, then the other parent is thinking, well, great, now the kids are away from me and I want to spend time with the children. So those are the competing circumstances. And it's so we're, you know, we're not here to judge. Everybody's mileage varies, but it's it can be really traumatic for a parent that the family's grown up and they've been in a state for a long time. Maybe they moved with one of the spouse's jobs. They settled in, a, in an area and now the one parent wants to go back home to where the parents are with the children. And that's where we see this interstate custody litigation become problematic. And um, the, the proper way to do it is file a petition for relocation of children or whatever they call it in, in your state. It might be called removal or relocation. And there's a way to do it properly. But it's, it's not illegal to take the children to the other state if there's no case filed and there's no court order and just wait. And the one day after six months, you could file there. And now that's going to be the home state for child custody purposes. And by the way, that's what I call a nuclear bomb, meaning it's so it's so powerful. There's no way to beat it, <laughs> M meaning if you wait that period of time, it is going to out be outcome determinative. And that is the home state right or wrong. So once if for those of you out there who have a spouse who's taken the children to another location, you need to act immediately. And there's no reason you can't wait because if they promise you, well, oh, I'll come back, blah, blah, blah. They're real, being real nice and they're letting you see the kids, but it's, it's in their state. They're probably trying to wait you out. So word to the wise. But the, the reason that this ties into Hague and, and what I find interesting about this is usually you hear about Hague cases filed in a defense, in a, I'm sorry, a responsive manner, meaning the child's already been taken and the parent is uh, seeking to do something about it. The parent left in, let's say the parent left in the US and the children are taken away to the other country. They're trying to deal with that issue or vice versa. Somebody from another country is trying to reach into the United States after a US court has assumed jurisdiction. So it's interesting that this has gone right into a Hague Convention case, but you pointed out he's holding the passports. <laughs> exactly. And that's the, that's the kicker there. So if he had just given the passports to her, they might not even have had this battle, right? She would have taken the kids and then he would have said, hey, I want him to come back unless he had some intel that maybe she was going to enroll them there and do what you had suggested, which is establish the UK as their home state while he's on tour here and then try and get the case dismissed here. So it's a lot of chess and gamesmanship going on. Yeah, and when you have super young children, by the way, you get into a gray zone. So when you've got a kid that's under six months old, and I've had that before, you, haven't, you don't have six months because the case is filed and the kid's four and five months old. They, what they say is, where's the child been primarily? You know, where, where's the center of gravity? So has the, how long is, where's the place where the child's lived the majority of their life? And so what I think is going to, my guess is what we'll see here, and we can go back and look at this later, that the key is gonna be where's the center of gravity for these children? You know, how long have they lived in the United States even though they've moved around? Probably, because now we're looking at entire countries, US versus England, that's like a six hour flight. You know, that's a long way, maybe seven. Uh, and that's from New York, right? Or Chicago maybe. but. Uh, from West Coast even longer. So I'm not sure how this is going to shake out, but I would think a court would look at the, the 
the sum total of time spent in, in the country? You know, I, I'm guessing they haven't spent a lot of time in the UK, but I don't know. Right. And, and so to touch on that, if, if, I'm, if I may elaborate just a little bit yeah, please. Uh, on that a- aspect. So it's very interesting for, for our listeners or viewers who are interested, uh, the, the actual complaint or petition is, is online. So I was able to look at it. And so you can actually see, because they did exactly what you just said, they detailed where the kids have been. What did it say? It's all over the place. So they were, uh, they were in California, then they went to Florida, then they went to the UK, and then they allegedly decided they were going to settle down in the UK in April of this year, but then started going on tour with, with Joe Jonas in July and have been you know, living in different states and different countries you know, and then they have like a two year span where it's just all over the place. Okay. And so, and they're at a different location for like two, three weeks at a time. And so you can see how dysfunctional or disjointed this might seem right. to someone who just lives at home and is looking at this like crazy hectic schedule. But, uh, but specifically about the Hague uh, convention itself to obtain the return of a child, there's like four factors that they, you know, four, four things, one of these four things have to be demonstrated, right? So this is what Sophie is going to have to do. And, and I'll be quick, uh, because again, we want to make sure this is like 36,000 foot view. Yeah, here. We'll put the links. Can you put the, we'll put yeah. the link to the petition in the notes. Right. We can do that also. Uh, child was a habitual resident of the UK and was wrongfully moved to United States. That's one. That seems like a stretch. Exactly. Yeah, removing or retaining the child, removing the child from the UK or, ret- or retaining the child in the United States is wrongful and is in violation of your custodial rights. Again, there, there are, I mean, there's, I don't think that's an issue at all here. Number three, uh, 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 wrongful removal. Again, it's more of a technical issue. Again, doesn't really apply. And the child is under 16. So I can't imagine just based on those four, how this would go. But yeah. from Joe's, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I'm getting at. Like it, a Hague thing is to return a child. That's, that presumes the child belongs in that home country. That's why I think it's weird because they're, they're using it as an offensive weapon, which I've, I've never heard of that. Not that, I mean, I'm not a Hague expert by any means, uh, but you, I've always heard of them in the context of returning a child where there really is no question that they are you know, in the kind of belong in the home country or whatever. And, and it's, this is really unusual to see it. Or in my experience, I've never seen it used this way. Right. And, and in the petition, again, we'll link it here uh, in the notes. She goes on to sort of say, or allege the party that speculated setting up their permanent home in the UK. Yeah. They went as so far as to purchase this house. The kids started living there in April, but decided to go visit with their dad and go ahead and do all these things. So it's a lot, I think, also in speculation. Right. So, again, there's just no home base as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and we're, and this is also a little practice tip or a tip to the people that are out there maybe involved in this stuff. A plan to go somewhere is nothing. So if you planned to move out of state for UCCJEA, even if you had a written agreement or whatever, it doesn't. A court order is one, by the way, it's not a court order. I'm saying if you had some, if your spouse said in writing, yeah, I want to move to California where your kids, where your mom and dad are, that's worth nothing when a case starts up. So this plan to move to the UK amounts to nothing, really. Right. And then, exactly. And then that we bought this house or we were about to buy this house. Uh, again, the, te- the details are all in the petition that she filed. And we're not judges by any means. You know, this is our, maybe a judge will look at it and say, you know what? You're right. Who knows? Uh, right. And so it's, it's interesting because Joe is going to basically have to defend against this offensive petition. That's typically not used to, to be going on the offensive. So he'll have to essentially defend against it and we'll see what happens. Sounds like he was smart to hold on to the passports. Yeah. Or, or he'd be the one filing. Yeah. He'd be filing a, a straight up Hague petition. Yeah. Well, do you want me to touch on these like four quick points? Yeah that Joe would have to say, I guess, yeah. or defend, or you think, you know, just again, super high level. Uh, one, uh, you know, defenses to return of the child. 
The, the, the court may deny returning the abducted child if one of the following apply. Grave risk that child's return would expose the child to physical or psychological harm. Uh, child objects to being returned too young. More than a year has passed since the wrongful removal or retention occurred. Now, the party seeking return consented to or subsequently acquiesced to the child's removal. That's the one. Right. The return would violate the fundamental principles of human rights. Now, party seeking return was not actually exercising rights of custody at the time of the wrongful removal. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So, Joe has some teeth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In this, and yeah, for sure. I think the the center of gravity is in the U.S. I'm guessing, and the, the I think the weight is on his side. What may end up happening here is a negotiated result where they agree to have the kids travel X amount of time back and forth. And and let's be honest, Joe Jonas is traveling on tour. He's not exactly able to be the dad of the year doing that stuff. Uh, I'm guessing he's going to have a lot of time invested in the shows and all that stuff. So this, exactly. similar to the Costner case, is probably positioning and attempting to, to maneuver this the best way possible for uh, Sophie Turner. You know, look, can't blame her for trying. And she wants what she believes is best for the children. And one of the things the judges are going to need to weigh in both countries is what they think is in the best interest of the children. And that's kind of a common law standard. That's our standard in the United States and best interest of the child. I'm guessing I'm, I'm not a UK barrister or solicitor, but I'm guessing our traditions are, I mean, I know our legal traditions are pulled from uh, common law, British tradition, and it's probably a very similar standard in the UK. So the courts are going to need to weigh that as well. But those, those Hague items are really uh, important to know. And, and so, again, this plays out in federal court, folks, not state court, where we operate in state court. And we don't handle Hague cases in our law firm. There are certain lawyers who specialize in Hague convention work in Chicago that we, we know and love and send those cases to them because it's a very specialized area of family law practice. That international divorce work is a very... Uh, specialized subspecialty of divorce. So um, interesting other one final note on Hague, and that is there are a lot of countries that aren't uh, members to Hague Convention, India being a significant uh, one because we have such a large Indian population in the United States and a lot of travel back and forth and a lot of large families still remaining in, in India. So uh, we've dealt with cases like that. And once they're in India, they're gone folks. Those kids are not coming back unless the parent wants them to. So that's something, word to the wise. Um, it, you have to resort to some very unusual measures. And they're gray, gray measures legally. Uh, there are investigators in India. There are folks that work on repatriation of children in India. Um, it is a gray area. And it is, let's put it this way, it is not necessarily the law. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. I've never done it myself. I just know it exists. And, um, but once children are, there's a very powerful, is, Rahul, can you explain a little bit about Indian divorce law? Because you probably, you may well know a little bit more than me, but I know it's very mom. It, isn't it strong in favor of mothers for custody? It is. And it also depends on the religion under which you got married. So they, they follow the UK system because obviously England or the United Kingdom at the time or Britain, Great Britain, yeah. occupied India. But after they left, they have they left a lot of their systems behind. And then then you have these religious marriages. And then so you have to get divorced under that religious act. OK, so they have they have essentially a section of the divorce law for each religion. Is, is that how it yes. works? OK. Yes. And they respect the religious tenets of each religion by the, the way the, the law is structured. Exactly, exactly. And giving that religion some consideration. So if you were a Muslim, for example, you might have certain considerations than if you were the majority or the, the major religion there, which is Hinduism. They have uh, Hinduism and the divorce under Hinduism is very, very, very similar to what we have in Illinois, for example, with the exception that they don't recognize irreconcilable differences. Oh, okay. So... They have a you need a you need a fault. Okay, so you have to prove fault, and um, so what I've heard anecdotally from Indian clients in the past is 
it's very mom friendly from a custody standpoint, generically. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yes, because just the way the Indian system is structured, it sort of still has the traditional values a, a lot of the time. So moms stay home and rear the child. And so the presumption, and again, I, I, I'm speaking from, just like you said, just speculation. I'm not licensed in India right. by any means, and you know that, of course. Right. So uh, is, is that the presumption is mom is the better parent. You'll have a visitation schedule for dad, but dad will not get custody unless there's something gravely wrong with mom. Yeah, so that's... What, yeah, and what I've heard then is, so basically, if mom gets to India with the children, you're like, you're out of luck, big time. Oh, if mom goes to India with the children and you're here, yeah, like you said, that's that's curtains. You're not seeing that kid again unless you somehow figure out a way to repatriate yeah. it. And, we, and there's a lot of familial involvement. Yeah, and we're not picking on India. There are a whole lot of countries that haven't signed on to Hague Convention. Um, it, a lot of the Middle Eastern countries? Yeah. Right, the yeah. Emirates, Dubai, you know, Saudi Arabia. Correct, um, and and you can kind of understand if you put yourself in the shoes of the other nations, and you say they have these strong religious uh, based governments and legal systems, they're going to be gun shy about signing onto a convention that's based on Judeo Christian legal traditions, which is understandable. So, you know. Um, I understand where that comes from, much as from a divorce lawyer, U.S. divorce lawyer standpoint, I'd like to see more Hague Convention members, obviously. Um, you know, they don't want other countries telling them what to do. And that, that's really the bottom line. So um, interesting. Thank you for the discussion on that. That's really good stuff. We, we haven't had a chance to talk about Hague Convention or really UCCJEA. It was a good topic to bring up. Anything else on that? Of course. Yeah, I just did a quick search as, uh, as well while you were noting that point. And it says that Indian custody laws typically award custody of children under five to mom. Okay. However, if the kids are older, like especially older boys, then dad might get custody. Interesting. So it's, it's uh, but again, it said both parents have equal rights over the children, but ages, sort of uh, uh, gender, all those things go into play here when they determine custody and, and so on and so forth. So it seems like they might also have a balancing test. Okay. Interesting. Thanks for checking that out. Um, next is we had a, this is a good one. Um, Tinder goes bougie and has a very, what's this thing about the new expensive subscription service? Yeah. So Tinder just came out with this $500 a month subscription for its most active users. It sounds like it's, uh, it's an article from Google Finance. We'll link it here in the, in the, in the show notes. It's, uh, it's called Tinder Select. Okay. And it was offered, it was announced Friday and was, uh, was offered to less than 1% of Tinder users who are among the mo apps most active, the company said. Okay. So $500 a month translates to 6,000 a year. Users will be able to access new features such as VIP search, matching, and conversation that, that currently are not available to the existing paid plans. And it'll open up spots for this on a rolling basis and offers three other subscription options. Okay. So this is, uh, like you said, for the, for the elite of the things, uh, of the users. So for comparison, um, we talk, this made me think about the league, which we talked about briefly and uh, the league. So match group, which owns Tinder and has like gobbled up the dating app universe. They own hinge match. Okay. Cupid, plenty of fish and more. They acquired the league and the league was that super high end dating app, which people got mad about because they said it was you know, too exclusive and, snooty and selective and all that. People got upset about it, but it made a big splash because it was the most expensive dating app back at that time. And uh, the founder kind of was known for saying that she just decided when she was starting the app to see how, how, it would, how they could make money. And she raised the price in the app store as high as the app store would allow, the Apple <laughs> app store, which I can't remember what it was, but it was some kind of crazy number per month. It was like, I don't remember, one ninety nine a month or two ninety nine. It was a high number. Anyway, 
I was just looking online to see. And so they have this $500 a month thing you were talking about. The league is still out there now owned by match group, which owns tender and they have their most expensive subscription is, um, 2,500 bucks a month. Well, wait, they've got this VIP service that if you, oh, if you buy a month at a time, it's $2,500. If you buy the VIP service a week at a time, it's a thousand bucks a week. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's four grand a month. So I don't know, somebody's paying it. You know, they, they got to What do you get for it? I guess I'd be curious to see what it says. I don't know. Uh, but I wanted to look up the pricing. I was curious because I just thought it was wild. So Match Group purchased the league for 30 million bucks in 2022. So that wasn't that long ago. And I think the app started in like 2014 or something like that. But so, you know, there's there's always a demand for a more selective, fancier thing, I guess, whether it's cars, uh, vacations or dating, I suppose. So interesting. And so I'm reading about this. Sorry, I was going to say uh, I don't want to interrupt. No, you. go ahead. I was going to say I was reading about this just now, and it says the, in a nutshell, the league is an exclusive dating platform designed for savvy professionals looking for a serious relationship. It's invite only, and you have to join a wait list to get approved. All members are manually verified to ensure safe and authentic environment for educated singles with similar values to meet and connect. If you're a busy professional who wants to cut to the chase and find true love, the league could be for you. And the league, we're not sponsored by the league either, but happy to chat. Yeah, happy to chat. We'll go high end. We're, we're good like that. Um, <laughs> we're fancy guys, so we'll do it. So, um, yeah, that's uh, we always like to give the dating app the dish on the dating apps. Okay. Um, what's this about Danny Masterson's divorce? So, yeah, so Danny Masterson of, uh, uh, that 70 show fame was recently sentenced to 30 years to life in prison after a jury convicted him of raping two women many, 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 many years ago. Yeah. Like he, 2000, something like that. Yeah. Something really far out there. Yeah. So he's married to Bijou Phillips Masterson, who, I guess was sort of like the rock by his side during all these trial proceedings. Yeah. And, and his attorney, by the way, said they're going to appeal this. They're going to, they feel like the, a lot of mistakes were made. And so I, I see an appeal coming for these, uh, for these convictions. Yeah. But nevertheless, on September 15th, she filed for divorce and requested uh, spousal support, also known as alimony or spousal maintenance, yeah. uh, as well as a restoration of her name. She wants to go back to Bijou Phillips, wants to get rid of the word Masterson. Uh, and wants full legal and physical custody of their daughter, who is nine years of age, uh, and Masterson getting some visitation. So that just came down the pike. Uh, uh, and it makes sense. Oh, I yeah, mean, I for multiple reasons, right? I, First of all, yeah, I, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Th sorry. No, you're fine. Go, oh, go ahead, please. Oh, no, no. Okay. I was going to say it makes sense for, for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, well, she is going to be facing 30 years to life of being married, but single, essentially no dad. She wants to extricate herself from that situation. She is, you know, sole custody. I'm not sure how she'll get spousal support, uh, if he is in jail for 30 or prison for 30 years. However, she might get a larger share of his estate to care for the child, maybe herself. She might get a larger share as well as requesting sole custody of her daughter, because I mean, who else will have custody if he's in prison, right. assuming the, the verdict does not get uh, remanded or anything by any means or reversed. So that's one. And then from a, a psychological perspective, she wouldn't want to be associated with that name given the level of uh, seriousness and sort of, uh, you know, the allegations and well, not an allegations anymore. I mean, it was convicted, right. uh, you know, you don't want to be married to someone who was convicted of, of rape, right. I guess. So uh, that's one. And then finally, if there, if there are any civil suits, I think she would want to make sure her assets or the marital assets are protected. That's, so she takes all these assets. They can't really go after. Them that's what I was going to ask about because that's, yes. That's the smartest. Well, I understand the other parts. Certainly we can't, can't read her mind. We don't know whether she right. believes 
he did it or not, you know, even with a conviction. Mm-hmm. But even if she's still in love with him, it's a smart move to get divorced. Yes. Because the avalanche of civil claims that will follow this, he's going to get sued by these women. Un- and let's, if there's a conviction, like, I guess, deservedly so, right? Um, and we, we can't comment on the evidence. We haven't heard this trial. We have no idea. But I guarantee civil suits will be filed for the intentional infliction of emotional distress, the uh, torts done, the personal injuries done to these women, et cetera, battery and whatnot. And I'm guessing the verdict potential is large. So the sooner that they can get divorced and she can segregate some assets into her name, the better off she and the children will be. And uh, that I'm sure is a big issue, like you said. And this might be one of those cases where he might voluntarily agree that she just has everything. Sure. You know what? I'm going to be in jail. I don't need it. You can keep everything. Yeah, right. Or just um, here, take 99%, you know, give me a little bit and that's it. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 and we don't know, we don't know the inner workings, but I, like you're suggesting, I wouldn't be surprised to see a very rapid settlement in this mm-hmm. case. I don't think you're going to see yeah. a fight at all. I bet this will be settled probably very quickly. Um, and then we'll see what happens with this guy's appeal and uh, on, and, and the criminal case. But I, I bet you those civil cases are going to be filed. They probably already have been filed. Um, so we'll probably be hearing about that next in the news. We'll follow this story for the audience. But yeah, the tough situation, obviously. Um, I'm, I'm happy to report I've had very little experience with criminal stuff related to divorce. Um, that's, but it obviously occasionally happens. So sorry for the children and for the wife. And uh, I hope whatever justice is to be done gets done for this guy, whether right or wrong, whatever it is. Um, let's let the system do what it's supposed to do and uh, find out what we'll, I'm sure we'll hear eventually what the outcome is. So thanks. That was re- I really thought that was interesting. And uh, that's it for the pod. Thanks, everybody, for watching and listening. And uh, like, follow, share for more of I Just Want This Done. Again, we drop these every month. And uh, check out our links for all the other stuff to find out about us. I'm available on TikTok, at Rayford Palmer, Instagram, at Rayford Palmer, also Twitter, same handle. And uh, Rahul, where can people find you? You can find me at Chicago Divorce on Instagram. So check us out. Our law firm is STG Divorce Law in Chicago, stglawfirm.com. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. Have a good one.